from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. This is the Chancellor's Report, featuring Mark Monet, Chancellor of the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Here's your host, WUWM General Manager, John Hess. I'm John Hess, General Manager at WUWM. Today on the Chancellor's Report, Chancellor Mark Money will be joined by guests Liz Willen, Heckinger Report Editor-in-Chief, Doug Belkin, Higher Education Reporter of the Wall Street Journal, Kay Eilers, UWM Associate Vice Chancellor for Enrollment, and Dave Clark, UWM Vice Provost for Student Success. It's not headline news that the pandemic has impacted education, but the enduring issue of anemic college enrollments and the unexpected drop-off of men pursuing higher education have sparked national conversations. Today, we'll talk about how these trends have emerged and how they're likely to impact the future. So if we could start with you, Mark, can we get a general overview on the health of college enrollments and in a few words, what trends are you seeing? Well, thanks, John. Thanks for having us all. This is something that we've been really looking forward to with these esteemed guests that we have on today. Um, you know, I'll, I'll talk about just a few trends very quickly. One is that we have, with a few exceptions, seen college enrollments nationally uh, become soft. And what I mean by that is probably overall in the neighborhood of 2 to 3%. Um, some of the exceptions include um, areas in the South, uh, where demographically individuals like Nathan Growey have talked about um, when you look at demographics and the demand for higher education, you know, as the population trends had had uh, occurred, well, a lot of the offspring, a lot of the students are now college age. Uh, I oftentimes say in the Northeast and the Midwest, we're running out of teenagers. We we simply demographically don't have a lot of the demand that, that we had uh, 10 and 20 years ago. So that's a trend. So that was happening before the pandemic. When you add in the pandemic, it has significantly impacted enrollments in a number of different areas. Our two-year campuses, for example, have really been uh, hit hard. And I say that across the state of Wisconsin. Finally, um, when we see uh, lower income and historically underrepresented populations, and I think the Heckinger Report has done a terrific job documenting just how acute the issues are uh, for, for uh, those populations. So those are some of the quick trends that we're seeing, John. So Liz, in the Heckinger Report, you focus on many stories about the crash in college enrollments. So what do you feel are the key takeaways? Well, the Chancellor is correct. The numbers are really clear. The enrollment has declined by nearly 3 million in the last 10 years, and a million of that just since the start of the pandemic. Um, yeah, people are having fewer children, and enrollment is expected to fall again the Western, um, after 2025, according to the estimates that we've seen. But what we're really focusing on the implications of this and what, we're, what, what could this mean for our country as a whole? And the answer, according to our research and what the people we're speaking with is slower economic growth, continued labor shortages, lower life expectancy, higher levels of divorce, um, increased demand for social services, but less tax revenue to pay for it. Um, and, you know, we've got a sharp and persistent decline of the numbers down by nearly a million that really could alter American society for the worse, many people say. Um, and it comes at a time when you know, economic rival nations like China are increasing university enrollment. I don't want to sit, sit here and say that that means colleges for everybody. We have to solve this immediately. But I'm just talking about one of the things that we've seen recently in talking to researchers about overall looking at a society with a less educated populace. So, Doug, you wrote a, an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, about 
with this headline. It said, a generation of men give up on college. So tell us about the stories you've heard from young men and why are they making that decision? So uh, there's two ways to look at what's happening. There's the pain that the universities are dealing with as the enrollment gets soft. And there's the decision that the students are making as they determine what to go forward uh, after high school. And for a long time, that decision was pretty clear that college uh, made the most sense. It's become less clear specifically for boys in the last 10 years. uh, And then that accelerated during COVID. What I learned when I was reporting that story was that school seemed like something that was too risky. It seemed like something where they would learn things that weren't relevant to their lives. They felt like they could make more money more quickly by working uh, out of the bat. That is a very tight labor market. Um, And there was some concern around the culture of universities as as, uh, being problematic. They didn't want to necessarily go to a school um, that they didn't feel welcome in. So there's a lot of different things that I think are fueling that. Um, And then, uh, you know, the biggest gap is at the community colleges. So this is uh, really a problem with with poor and working class boys more than wealthy boys. So uh, class also plays into this. So I'm curious about, so we're talking about young people here, and obviously that's probably the the, the, the main uh, group of population that you'll look towards for enrollment, but there's also people who are mid-career or later in, in, in life uh, enrolling. Are you seeing any drops in those, or is that is that following the same type of enrollment decline? And anybody can jump in there. I don't know, maybe, maybe Kay, let's talk with you is are you seeing that at, at uh, UWM? So it's really interesting to to look at it from that perspective, John. Yes, we certainly do have a number of adults that are, are returning to school, particularly because the landscape has changed a, a bit. Um, more online classes available, a, a bit more flexibility as, as a result of the pandemic. However, I think there's also some hesitation, particularly with um, the, the labor shortage that is out there, it's kind of weighing, is it worth it at this point? What would the value be for me to return to school? So so it, it's a little bit of both, um, but but the, the market certainly is slowing because there are just other options out there. So Dave, are you seeing that too? Is that something that you're you're picking up on? Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. I would I would add that I think that folks who are considering college now are looking at the college experience a little differently and are hearing from peers that college is is uh, is really challenging during the pandemic. We're dealing with a population that came through the pan, you know, came through late, late part of high school during the pandemic, maybe coming out a little less prepared than they would have been otherwise, and are encountering you know, encountering a uh, university experience is also a little different. And we're seeing some struggles to succeed from students who are here where we wouldn't expect to have seen that historically. Will those rebound after the pandemic? I would expect so. Uh, but this is then part of the, the larger narrative that is, you know, is you know, being talked about in families around the table when students are thinking about, do I want to go to college? Yeah, you know, I would I- like I'm just going to say, I'd like to agree with that only based on the many, many interviews I've done over the last two and a half years with students who are either forced to suddenly leave college or go back and learn online and learn in person or online. And, And the experience was miserable. The romantic notion of a college campus 
with filled with opportunities and sports and lectures and meeting people from all over the world was so diminished. I, I talked to one student who was at Pitt and it had been her dream school and she never left her dorm. She ended up leaving and taking a year off. So I think the problem is the images of college that people have had, the fantasy and the expectation and the amount of financial impact it is for them and for their families, either from debt or saving up and a combination of loans, et cetera. And the, the reality of what it's been like is, is dealing a huge blow. Not to the elite college campuses, they seem to be more popular than ever, but certainly to uh, middle-class families and certainly to those for whom college has always been a struggle to afford anyway. The experience has diminished. Mark, you wanted to Yeah, please. Thank you, John. Um, you know, I want to circle back to Doug's comment for a moment. If we look at the gender differences and then think about some of the reasoning behind that, what we see is at UW-Milwaukee, about 57% of our students are female. That number, that trend has been growing. Um, and it, it really, uh, I think, is is something that there, there's a sociological phenomenon that's occurring here. And, and, and I think one of the other aspects of that is the alternatives to college. In addition to the concerns about is college going to be instrumental to the pathways that I thought about, frankly, you can come out of high school today in a number of locations in Wisconsin, probably true across the country, and you see ads and you see jobs going for not just 28, 35, 40,000, but in fact, 50 and $60,000 a year for pretty basic uh, jobs, whether, whether they're, um, at some of the, the entry-level manufacturing, whether it's shipping, pick and ship uh, types of things, or any, any number of, of operations. Not the traditional you know, high school jobs, not the retail types of things, but I'm talking about amazing opportunities with a high school degree. Um, so alternatives to college are, are more abundant today, in part because of the way the economy has shifted. Now, whether that will shift back and we'll get in a, in a year or three years into a different type of economy again, I, I, I can't predict that that accurately. Uh, but there are alternatives that are attractive. And I think that's particularly where we see a lot of the two-year uh, colleges hit quite hard. Um, and, and so just wanted to offer that in terms of some of the things that we're seeing. Kay? Kay, Kay you want to mention? Just expanding upon that a little bit, those of us who work in the enrollment landscape, um, we know it's competitive. Students that are interested in college are applying to a lot of schools. Even just looking in the UW system, they're applying to three-plus UW system schools. So we always want to know kind of who is our competition, the students that didn't come to us, where did they end up? And the last year's group of admits, it was very interesting to see that some of our biggest competition wasn't another college. It's no college at all. It's it's going out to do something else, whether it's work or, or otherwise. So we see a lot of would-be college-going students who maybe were interested, maybe kind of raised their hand initially, but opted to forego, at least for, for the coming year. So really interesting in the, the landscape. Can I ask you a question about the admissions? Sorry to hop in, but the... What about kids who were thinking about um, pursuing education through venues that didn't exist a decade ago? Are, you, are people talking about that? Are you seeing people moving in that direction or is that mostly adult still? Um, I, I see that mainly in the adult landscape, that, that there's just a whole lot more option if you are somebody who wants to to get a degree, but maybe you're not necessarily looking for the, the full college um, experience. But that's not to say we don't have adult students that are kind of interested in a more traditional experience or kind of that that hybrid sort of model. So it's a little bit all over the place. But um, I will add that 
again, in this market, it has certainly changed kind of what folks want, need, and expect to really get the value that they're looking for out of the, their time spent in the classroom. Go ahead, Liz. Yeah, I just wanted to add that that's absolutely right. And, and the question of that the alternative pathways, we're hearing and seeing so much about it. And I've been moderating a bunch of panels on this, and I will be doing so at South by Southwest EDU again and some others. That is what everybody is talking about. Some of the words I think are terrible because I don't I don't think they resonate with a lot of people. I, I always advocate for speaking very plainly about education. But if you're hearing a lot about micro-credentials and upskilling, um, these are the words that we keep hearing over and over again, and badges. And what we saw recently is that um, adults indeed are turning, 68% of adults considering enrollment in education last year preferred non-degree pathways up from 50% the year before. And I'm seeing a proliferation of that. And my index is filled with the innovators who are trying to convince me that their program or their degree or their credentials are so much better than what anyone can get from college. Um, there's a big movement for that. If you go to some of the conferences, again, you will see huge pushes for anything but the traditional four-year or even two-year school. Dave, you you were shaking your head. Does that does that ring true? Oh, it's nodding, to be clear. Oh, nodding, okay. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I, I do agree with that. I think that there are more options available and that some of the options may seem more unattainable than others. You know, the, the, the students that we're seeing now are coming out of, if we're talking about the traditional age students, uh, coming out with you know, mental health crises, family financial struggles and things like that. We're taking on uh, significant debt for a traditional degree is just not really an, an even choice for them. You know, like going to work is, is, is a far more obvious choice for them. Yeah. And, these other credentialing options may be a thing as well. And we know that the American Association of Colleges and Universities, you know, they do an annual survey of employers. We know that a lot of employers really still want, you know, critical thinking, writing skills, speaking skills and communication and all of those kinds of things that come out of a liberal education. But I can definitely understand the appeal of a of a different kind of like a, a developer boot camp kind of approach to to uh, to getting someone ready for the job market um, in a, in a by the way, I also want to say not all of these programs are high quality. Just because they're touting them doesn't mean they're great, and it doesn't mean that they're not leaving students drowning in debt, as a lot of our reporting has found. I'm just saying they're pushing them out there. And no, no, I, I hear you. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't want to go there, but, that, yeah. but, but yeah, that's... That <laughs> We're is, going there. <laughs> here's, here's a world that I see. We look at, um, in Wisconsin, and for those of you from out of state, we're the metro area with 80% of the African-American population in the state residing in the southeastern seven counties. We call it the Milwaukee metro area. We have 60% of the Hispanic population of the entire state. If you look at the income levels, we have this significant over-representation of black and brown citizens in under 40,000 a year. They're in retail, they're in agriculture, they're in the low level construction like cleanup. It's, it's incredible. And we continue to believe that to fill that, to help for individual uh, economic prosperity, for uh, home ownership, for health outcomes, for any number of things, the, the issues, Liz, that you cited earlier in terms of what does a college degree get you? The long-term earnings potential is just phenomenal uh, if we can get the students two and four-year degrees. Now, what this conversation surfaces is will employers want that certificate? Do they want the badge? Do they want the upskill? Do they want skills now uh, versus no, they're still 
recognizing and, and valuing the importance of the two-year, four-year, or in some cases, master's and doctoral degrees. You know, what are they looking for and how quickly can we pivot? We are at UWM engaging quite a bit in the online, uh, we call it the tech ed frontiers, where we've got certificates, badges, um, we're doing a lot of micro certifications, those types of things. So we're really responding to that, but not as much at the undergraduate or the 18 to 25 year old level, as much as for the, you know, uh, the folks in the workplace today. But I do think employers, you know, I've chaired for several years, the 21st century workforce um, theme in our APLU, which is the American Public Land Grant Universities, um, urban serving universities workforce. And um, this is something that employers are increasingly saying at all levels. So I think it is something important to watch. Um, but I still think the degree, whether it's two or four year, is the uh, gold standard for long-term earnings and for, for a lot of the things that degrees do bring. You might say I'm biased, but I'm also somebody who never planned to go to college and found the doors that were open and the opportunities all the way through. It just made a huge difference in my life. And I see this every day with our alumni in terms of the opportunities, career choices that they have, incredible mobility. And I think that's going to continue to, to reign strong. So, so Liz and Doug, nationally, what, what, are the, what are the implications for this lower enrollment in terms of uh, people going to four, two- and four-year universities? And then, Mark, let's follow up with you. I want to know what Wisconsin, what's the implication for the Wisconsin system. So let's talk nationally first. What does that do to state university systems around the country, and is that mirrored in Wisconsin? Liz? Oh, I was going to let Doug take the lead on oh, this one. Okay. <laughs> I think we're we're poised, and we have been for a while, to see a uh, a lot of mergers, um, a lot of closings of smaller schools, the Northwest and Northeast in particular. Um, some of the regional publics are going to be vulnerable to closing to to pro programmatic cuts. Um, you know the 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 elephant in the room with universities is that they're not nimble by and large. They're not able to to shift programs. Are, it's hard to get cut. So you so you have these very dramatic moments where boards and presidents are declaring fiscal exigency and cutting programs. And that sort of thing hasn't happened much. I think we're sort of going to be entering a realm where that is going to be. I don't know if it's the new norm, but I think there'll be a lot more headlines like that. And we've seen them already. Um, and I don't see the competition uh, that universities are dealing with declining anytime soon. In fact, I see it accelerating and globalizing. Um, and I think the last thing is that a lot of schools have depended on international enrollments, and it's not clear what's going to happen there. Yeah. That's been a cash cow for a lot of schools. Um, we're entering a, an age of volatility internationally, and um, that portends problems for schools that have uh, put a lot of weight behind uh, international income. So I think those are sort of some of the trends that are out there. Yeah, I agree with Doug. And I would also like to add that one thing we are seeing, I agree with him that colleges really move slowly and they can't necessarily, all of higher ed doesn't necessarily pivot well and quickly, but there is more innovation going on. Uh, we recently took a look at the main college for art and design, for example. It's tiny. It's a 140-year-old college and they are adapting to these demographic realities because they have no choice. And what are they doing? And this is just one example. I mean, I think there's you're going to see little pockets of this all over the country, but I think it's going to 
matter greatly to the future of many colleges and universities, and that is giving students more of what they want. So this is a little college that has decided to um, give students more abilities to like say, they stay open 24 hours now. They can study anywhere, anytime. They have seen an interest in game design and animation. And so they are creating programs in that, amping up those kind of programs and creating different flexible spaces. They um, adding different things like documentary studies and studying of subjects like podcasting and documentary films. So the point is that there's a way to, for colleges to pivot and figure out what students want and need so that they're much more attractive to them and so that they want to be there. And Mark, are university, Wisconsin universities pivoting in the same way? Well, yes and no. Um, you know, I think this is a case really putting Liz and Doug's comments together where the strong and the rich get bigger and stronger and the smaller ones are going to be um, incredibly competitive. Some are going to consolidate, merge, some are going to go out, um, but it's going to be a struggle for a long time. And what we see specifically in Wisconsin is that if you track back over the last 15 years, you can mark about a thousand students across the UW system fewer every year. So go back 10 years, 10,000 fewer students, 15 years, 15,000 fewer students. What does that mean for an institution that serves 150, 160,000 students that has dropped from 180? I mean, think about big, big, long-term pictures. So the problem is this is like the frog, the proverbial frog in the slow water, you know, the, the slowly heating water. You know, it's like, well, you know, we can weather this. We can cut, cut, cut. The problem is you can't cut your way out of decline. And and so where we're at is that we're it's it's really time to draw a line and talk about significant reformation of the UW system in some ways where we really do look at uh, things in a in a, a way that that rather than having others do things to us, whether it's legislators or um, you know elected officials at the local level and others, we've really got to take the bull by the horn. So UWM devised a plan and program. Seeing this coming about four and five years ago, we called it. Um, uh, project really think tank 2030 and uh, we had a lot of groups it was very organic a lot of people got together planned uh, really built eight different pillars around uh, increased student success uh, radically radically uh, welcoming culture uh, components transforming taking 13 14 schools and colleges you know really uh, reorganizing into seven or eight a lot of different things around programmatic innovation to try to be nimble to try to be agile and then the pandemic hit as we were moving toward implementation and we realized 2030 is now 2030 we don't we don't have that time so we're really uh, moving on a lot of different fronts and it's pretty exciting uh, to take what is a reasonably large second largest university in the state of wisconsin and and move it fairly quick um so doug you're right on about that 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 inability to to move quickly is something that we've really tried to to address but there's big bigger changes that are needed and as much as we're innovative in terms of different types of programs there's a lot uh, more in front of us that we can and, and, and need to do meanwhile our student uh, needs, um, in particular around equity uh, and, and, and the student population that we do serve, as well as you know, really all, all the different populations, they have changing demands. We have to become even more service uh, oriented toward them, more supportive in a lot of different ways uh, that while it's been our mission, uh, and as part of our DNA, we have to get even better at that to help close that gap. So we've joined uh, and really lead the nation in the Moonshot for Equity, uh, which is a goal to completely eliminate the achievement gap. We've got a lot of long-term pipeline programs that have been in place in terms of working with high schools and our biggest area technical college. A lot of great things in terms of increasing transition rates, closing achievement gaps. Much more in front of us, though. So I guess you know when we when we look at this from the national and the Wisconsin perspective. Um, 
Doug, what, what would you, what advice would you give to, would you have for parents considering the future paths for their children in terms of higher education? And Liz, maybe you want to weigh in on this too. Sure. Is, uh, you know, somebody looking at this with a, with a toddler, for instance, and saying, okay, I'm saving for college. I'm getting ready to start that path. What advice would you give them right now? This is a bit of an, an odd piece of advice. I've been giving it for five years to my friends who have kids entering into college. Um, in 2017, I spent a year pulling up the um, the collegiate learning assessment tests for schools around the country. Because every school in the country says, we teach your child to think critically. And that's really not true. Some do a good job and some don't. If And that's really the, the, the what you want to happen when you're at school, if you're getting a classic liberal education, you want to be able to synthesize information and to make up your mind and to, to think for yourself. So what I suggest is that parents and kids look at how well, from whatever tools they can find, and some schools, you know, it's different school to school, schools are teaching you to think. Uh, they're, they're teaching you to grow intellectually. It's important to come up with a trade, uh, with an ability to, to, to make money right out of school, but the ability to develop your mind is is central to a college education, I think. Yeah, I really appreciate your saying that, Doug, partly because, you know, I'm one of those useless English majors and I'm reading Portrait of a Lady for the fifth time. And I recently took sort of an online course by reading a book about teaching of the Odyssey at Bard College that I enjoyed so much. And I think those are intangible uh, things that you get from college. But I've recently been through this with two boys, my two boys and both recent college graduates. And I gave a talk at their high school trying to help. And what I found most of all, our parents are desperate for information. They don't understand the college process system. After I talked to, after I talked a little bit about it, because I used to cover college admissions for many years, I had a line of 25 parents asking me how to fill out the FOSPA. So I think there's also a real, they, my kids went to a large public high school in New York City and there's no guidance counselors. You know, there's like one for 2000 or uh, so I think the biggest problem that parents have, the reason they're talking to reporters like me and Doug for advice is because they have very little idea how to amass this uh, enormous amount of information about college. Where's the value? What's the value? How do they figure out the financial aid? Is it worth taking a loan? How do they even find out where the best programs are? And how do they, um, do you really let your kids follow their passion at a time when it is so, when, you know, what, by the time my kids were applying, there weren't as many jobs. It was much, seems like it's more of a open job market for kids. But I just think it's super important to have something that you love to do in life, which is why I'm raising really useless children in some ways because they're musicians. And but they and an act and an, I'm a musician and an actor and they love what they do. I'm not going to tell you that they're going to be able to easily pay off their college loans or that um, that they're going to be the kids who are getting all these jobs lined up with all of these benefits. But they adore their field and they love what they do. So I think I would want parents to also want to raise kids who are really happy with what they do. And I'm also not a huge fan of the elite schools matter that much. And chasing that prestige is just seems to me like in some ways a waste of time. Well, this has been a great discussion and I know it's one that uh, we're going to continue on to have. And it's one that affects both uh, UWM and also, you know, nationally in terms of uh, the future of education. So I want to thank you all. 
On today's Chancellor's Report, we've been talking with Chancellor Mark Monet. He's been joined by Liz Willen of the Heckinger Report. She's the editor-in-chief. Doug Belkin, higher education reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Kay Eilers, UWM Associate Vice Chancellor for Enrollment. And Dave Clark, UWM Vice Provost for Student Success. Thank you all for being here. I know it was a fast half hour, but we had a great discussion. And I want to thank you for taking part in it. Thank you. It was so much thank fun. You. Thanks. Thanks. I'm John Hess, General Manager at WUWM. Good day. You've been listening to The Chancellor's Report, featuring Mark Monet, Chancellor of the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. If you'd like more information, go to uwm.edu slash chancellor.